We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. He's turning into a guy that, like I said, we rely on to make plays on both ends of the floor. And uh, he's important to what we do. But I, I can't think of a guy that, you know, he reminds me of that I've been around those kinds of players. But I think Mikhail is going to be his own his own guy. And uh, I don't want to put anybody else uh, as a label on him because I don't want that to limit what he can do. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Uh, Sam, Mike. Jonathan Simmons, Danny Green, Robert Covington, oh Fred God. Van Vliet. Oh my Quinn God. Cook, this is where you're Seth starting. Curry, Jeremy Lin, Chris Anderson, Martian Gortat, Justin Holiday, Anthony Tolliver, Nick Nurse, and Hassan Whiteside. What do all those players and coaches have in common? None of them are on the Suns. They all got their start. In the G League. Yeah. In the G League. Well, That's right. Well, some were the D League, I guess, at the time. I like that. I, I really like that you started that way, because usually you start the conventional way, which is to ask me how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. 
by the way. <laughs> I like that you answered it anyway. <laughs> well, I just, but I want, I wanted to check on how you were doing because I truthfully didn't know. And I think we just got some insight into how you are doing. Because for those who don't know, it's been a day to be on Suns yeah. Twitter. And it's been a day to be, be a Suns fan in general. And watching your Twitter feed, Mike, this morning <laughs> or early afternoon, whenever it was in Phoenix time, there was a point this afternoon at which I thought you were ready to take a pitchfork and go burn down the corporate establishment <laughs> in the Phoenix metro area. So truthfully, how are you doing and how are you feeling eight or nine hours later about the whole situation? Honestly, I feel tired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and not like it's been a long day. Right. It's not even like physically tired. It's just like emotionally tired. And and here's why I think that everyone listening knows uh, sort of what's happened in the last uh, 24-ish hours. Uh, but for those who don't know, uh, the Phoenix Suns, I almost just said Robert Sarver directly. The Phoenix Suns sold the G League affiliate, which was the Northern Arizona Suns, to the Detroit Pistons in a sale that I, I'll be honest, I did not even know was possible. I guess it makes sense. Like it's its own franchise in a way. Uh, and it was sold to the Phoenix, to the Detroit Pistons, which, which leaves the Phoenix Suns without a G League affiliate. And we will talk about why that matters, because I think some people are downplaying that a lot. Uh, on the same day that it was announced, not really announced, just kind of leaked out by people who know people that work for the Suns, that the Suns also laid off at least 30 employees that we know of so far, including some longtime employees of the Phoenix Suns. One person described it as it was just employee ID numbers and salaries that mattered to the team, and that's it. Uh, meaning that they did not take into account people who have served the Suns for a long time, served the community for a long time in that sense uh, because they worked for the Suns. They just laid people off uh, to save the money. And I understand that, that we're working in uh, interesting environments, you can say, uh, but the team is owned by a guy who's worth over a billion dollars, probably at this point, just just based on his million. ownership stake. Four hundred million is what his his net worth is listed online. Yes. But he also has a controlling stake of the Phoenix Suns, which could right. be worth up to one point five billion dollars. Right. right. Yes. Uh, so that's a lot of money, uh, yeah. and that money, whether it's liquid or not, allows you right. to create liquid money, liquid assets that maybe could allow you to keep employees on. Well, we're going through this uh, difficult time. Uh, so for me, I was pretty angry about all of this because I think <laughs> it's a combination of uh, screwing people over, one, by firing them, and two, getting rid of an important developmental part of the Phoenix Suns, something that James Jones himself was touting the importance of just about a year, less than a year ago at this point. It was November 2019, he was talking about how important the G League affiliate was to developing players for the Phoenix Suns. Right. That means that they are no longer valuing that. In some bullshit statement that James Jones released with Robert Sarver pointing a gun at his head, I assume, <laughs> uh, basically saying that it's it's no the G League team is no longer important to the development of players. They're focusing oh. on the 11 to 15 players that are on the Phoenix Suns roster instead of uh, pushing it beyond that. How do you feel? What well, What's your thoughts on this? If we're being honest, did uh, for, I have a lot more to say about the overall situation, the stuff you were covering a couple minutes ago, but just about what you just said. Did they ever care? 
about the G League affiliate? Did did the Suns ever? Did we ever get the vibe that they cared about the Northern Arizona Suns? We still had unfilled two way slots throughout the entire season that we could have used, but we didn't. Um, and the guys that we did sign, Jared Harper and and Tariq Owens this year in particular. Last year, I think they used only one two way slot on Jawan Evans. Um, it, I don't hold it against those guys that they never went anywhere. Most guys you sign on two-way contracts don't actually become productive NBA players, but I don't even think it felt like there was a lot of effort expended into, you know, in, into really incorporating them into the organization. And and that's just kind of my vibe, but I'll turn it back on you. Like, honestly, do you feel a year ago when James Jones said this, the G League is important to us for X, Y, and Z reasons, did you mm-hmm. honestly feel that, that he was telling the truth or was that just lip service as well? Uh, let, let, me, let me read this. This was posted November 16th, 2019. Here's the title of the article that was on the Phoenix Suns website. Suns dedicated to using G League to grow and develop young players. And here's a quote. It's vital for our program. Jones said, if you look at the opportunity for our players, our coaches, and our staff to develop, it's critical, right? Vital and critical. We have one of the youngest teams in the NBA, and that's not just players. It's also staff, right? Nick Nurse won a G League championship and is now the best coach in the NBA. It affords us an opportunity to grow and develop, and that's important when you're trying to do what we're doing. And later in the article, he said, if we assign guys like Jalen and Jared, those guys are down there learning, growing growing up, and it helps when they're up here. So it helps that they can be on the same page. More importantly, and this is a good part, it affords our coaches the chance to expand their skill set, expand their understanding of our concepts, and increases discussion. That league is really vital to developing the communications between coaches and players at this stage in their careers. Every player knows how to play. He perfectly encapsulates... What's important about the G League? Yeah, and and I think, look, all I'm saying is I think everything in that statement is correct. I personally value the G League. I guess I'm just saying I think similar to what James Jones did today where he lied to all of us because he is the mouthpiece of Robert Sarver and that's what he's being paid to do. Uh, the same was true of him in last November, okay. and that wasn't really how the Suns viewed the G but League, even if it's what they said to the public. Something else happened that summer, though, that made me feel like they did value it, and that was a four-year contract to a 19-year-old player who never sure. went to college. That's a great point. That is that is a the, great point. They clearly valued it at some point, and, and they and signed a guy named Jalen LeCue to a four-year contract, right? right? It's two years up front <laughs> guaranteed, two team option years at the end of that contract. Well, that and let's, He could be dropped after that second year, which at this point... He's going to be, right? Well, let's talk about what, what that means now. So what it means is, for, just to kind of cover a little bit more of the nuts and bolts, the Suns now are without a G League organization. What does that mean? There are two other franchises in the NBA, the Portland Trailblazers and the Denver Nuggets, that currently do not have a G League team. It is still possible, even without a G League team, to send players down to the G League. This is something that very recently the Denver Nuggets did with Bull Bull. Um, as he was trying to rehab, and, and, and now he's back, and there's a whole big storyline about that. However, so so right there, what, what does it mean? It means the Suns can still at least kind of pretend that they are paying attention to Jalen LeCue and send him to some other team's G League affiliate. Um, in actuality, what does it mean? Uh, that whatever team you send that prospect to, 
um, because it's owned by a different organization, they are under no obligation to give any sort of shit or any sort of playing time to your mm-hmm. prospect. And so, right. you know, the Suns technically can you know, no one can deny them. They can work out a deal if they have a player that they desperately want to send to the G League, say, for a rehab stint, and you just want to get them kind of reps, you can send them down somewhere. Um, but other organizations basically don't have to pay much mind to them. And so that's a really bad thing for the Suns. And it's a really yes. bad thing for an organization that has talked so much over the past year about uh, how interested they are in kind of rebooting the culture. Um, you can't really have a positive culture if you're the only team uh, in the NBA without a G League affiliate. And people are going to point out that, like I just said, Denver and Portland don't have G League affiliates. Denver and Portland are going to get G League affiliates soon. And yes, at the end of the day, the, the main point here, the bottom line is that the Phoenix Suns in this realm in a time when also, mind you, people are becoming more and more wary of the NCAA and there are more and more college prospects, high school prospects, who are considering foregoing the NCAA entirely to jump straight to the G League. Um, in this era of basketball, to be the only team moving in a negative direction, yes, to actively yes. be go- going away from that system is a very bad look for the Phoenix Suns. That, that's such an excellent point. I'm so glad that you said that. There are five-star recruits that are skipping college entirely and joining the G League, the Suns will not have a leg up on any of those guys. Yes, they will be in the draft anyway, but it still matters. You want to have the right thing. And I didn't finish this quote. I want to finish the way that James Jones said this. He says, every player knows how to play. They just don't know how to play the way we want them to. And that's the importance of the G League and owning your own G League team. You send Jalen LeCue to another team, they're not even obligated to play him minutes at all. But what they're also not obligated to do is develop him the way that you want him to be developed. They're not obligated to instill the kind of culture that you're trying to develop on your team. That means you could send them somewhere and it actively makes them worse or a worse fit for your team. The point is not being able to control that at all is the problem. But the real problem, if we want to just zoom out a little bit, is that the Suns have an owner that doesn't value player development enough to invest the money into that team. No matter what they say, this was 100% about saving money. He is just being cheap. And that's his reputation already. Here's the thing, though, that I wanted to say, the other thing about this situation. Does it bother me? Yes. Am I angry? Yes. There are many, many teams, though, that are going to be confronted with kind of financial crises soon due to COVID. Um, I think the optics of the situation with what the Suns specifically did to be the first team to come out and make this sort of announcement, because I do think it's possible that other teams... I don't think anyone else is going to sell their G League affiliate, I'll be honest. But I do think there are other cost-saving measures that are going to come out. I think other teams owned by rich billionaire owners who can afford to keep their staff on payroll um, are going to do the wrong thing in in quarter three and quarter four of 2020. And I think other teams are going to fire portions of their staff as well. I don't think Robert Sarver is going to be the only one to do that. I do think it was the absolute worst decision, uh, decision possible of him to choose to be the first one to do it because now he has the ire of the entire fan base, the community, as kind of we see all of these things culminate together. Um, so, so that's the first thing. But the other thing is, why is Robert Sarver the first owner to make these moves? And, and maybe if you're a Suns fan, you can look at this as kind of the bright side, if there is any bright side to this, is that there could be a hint of desperation coming from mm-hmm. Robert Sarver. The reality of Robert Sarver, you talked about how the Suns are valued so highly and how none of that money is liquid. 
it could be made liquid in certain ways. But for the time being, what we know about Robert Sarver is that he has a net worth of $400 million, which you could Google, which makes him a small fry comparatively to most NBA owners. And so he might start to feel the, uh, those financial impacts a little bit faster than other people. And it is possible that there is this hint of desperation coming from him. He felt the need to sell the Northern Arizona Suns. I don't even know how much they would be worth. Um, I can't imagine they're very profitable, by the way. But but to sell just to give him enough short-term cash to kind of avoid having to sell the entire franchise. It is possible that he is negatively impacted to the point where he has to sell the entire franchise. And I think yeah. maybe that's kind of the one bright spot that you could see here. And I just want to say this is not unprecedented in Phoenix sports. It's not even unprecedented with the Suns themselves. I had a conversation with Bob Young. By the way, if you don't follow Bob Young on Twitter, he's an old school Suns reporter. He reports on Arizona sports in general. At Bob Young, T-H-I is his handle on Twitter. And he brought up, I was talking about Robert Sarver and potentially selling the Suns at some point. And he brought up uh, something that I thought was interesting. He said that Jerry Colangelo... Uh, when he sold the Suns, his net worth was $25 million. The Suns sold for $400 million at that time. He sold the team because, this is I'm quoting Bob here, he sold the team because it had become so valuable, the family didn't have enough liquidity to pay the inheritance tax yeah. if he passed, because he had cancer at the time, and that forced him to pay, uh, to sell the team. It forced him to sell the team at that time just to have enough cash on hand to be able to uh, give his money to his kids if he passed. That's that's the kind of thing that not having liquid cash, that's the kind of problem that could develop based on that. Obviously, we don't know the actual financial situation of Robert Sarver. It's possible he has a lot more money than we expect. It's possible he has a lot less than we expect. We really have no idea. There's not a lot of reporting on that kind of thing uh, for Robert Sarver. But there is there is a small chance that this is pointing at a potential financial problem yes. that he's looking at that could eventually snowball of into him selling the team entirely. And I I'm trying not to hold on to that hope. Though, no, neither am I. I think it's a small chance. I don't want to give anyone too much hope. But I think effectively, if he, Robert Sarver were to sell the Suns, that is the only reason he would do so. He would do so because he is kind of strapped for cash to the point where. He paid $400 million together. You know, obviously, he, he didn't put down the entire $400 million, but he collectively put down $400 million on the sports franchise back in 2004. Which was um, a record. Which is <laughs> which was a record at the time. Only 16 years later, it is worth $1.6 billion. A 400% return on investment over a decade and a half sounds pretty good to me. However, if Sarver is able to survive the current recession, because the entire country is going to be in a recession probably for the next year, if not more, He's going to hold on to the franchise. He's going to hold on to the franchise because the NBA has established a culture where it is acceptable for owners to treat their teams as a vehicle for nothing other than financial growth and, and kind of to mm. stick up a middle finger to the fans and still be able to <laughs> pump profit out of it. Because if he is able to survive COVID, if he can wait out another 10 years, you know, Robert Sarver is not that old. He's only 61 years old. If he can wait another decade, the Suns may be worth $3 billion. And why would you sell now when you could sell then? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, Mike. I, I don't want to give anyone too much hope, but I think why would he be the first owner to announce these kind of desperate cost-saving measures when he knows what that's going to look like? Um, yeah. it, it maybe points to him being a little bit desperate than kind of some of the big fish. Yeah, I think one of the frustrating parts of all of this is it, it, 
it sort of all came down after that amazing scrimmage. We were all sort of on a high uh, after the Suns played their last game because Mikhail Bridges is essentially turning into a star uh, right before our eyes. And then, of course, we have Robert Sarver there to take all our joy away <laughs> the very next day. Uh, but let's talk. Let's talk about that that scrimmage a little bit. I know you didn't watch it live. I think a lot of people who are following me on Twitter. By the way, if you don't follow us on Twitter, follow both of us. I'm at Protected Pick. Sam is at Scooper Hoops. Follow both of us. Uh, I tweeted along with that game. I think a lot. <laughs> I think a lot of people know my feeling about that game. Uh, but you watched it later. What did What did you think? Well, it's funny that I was live tweeting the game, but then I watched it later. It was one of those games where I tweeted based on the box score. I tweeted something like uh, Mikhail Bridges, future superstar, just because I was getting so <laughs> excited just watching the box score. I wasn't even watching the game. Um, I watched the game later. And yeah, I mean, the, I think the thing that stands out, right, is Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton combined for 16 points in a scrimmage and you still beat a very good team. That's the takeaway. Mm-hmm. You know, I looked it up and, and the Suns this year were 1-13 in games where Devin Booker scores less than 20 points. So the idea that he could score nine points for you and and you still come away just based purely on Mikhail Bridges and, and Cam Johnson, and Ricky Rubio also actually played very, very well in this game. Um, I think it just... And, and also not to mention how poorly the bench played. I don't even blame them because we're without some key pieces right now. Dario Saric is getting better. Aaron Baines, Kelly Oubre obviously have to come back. So the lineups that they were throwing out, Monty was throwing out towards the end of that game were true desperation lineups, like four-guard lineups that absolutely made no sense, and no one on the bench was able to get it going. The fact that you still win that game, there's a lot of talent on this starting lineup, like a lot of talent. You know, the Suns might have the worst bench in the NBA or very close to it, but they might have a top 10 starting lineup at this point with the way Mikhail Bridges is going, the way Kelly Oubre clicked this year, obviously Aiden Booker and, and Rubio and all those guys clicking as well. Um, but yeah, Mikhail Bridges, obviously the guy to watch from from the scrimmages. He has been uh, truly fantastic. Yeah, I think um, no surprise here for us. Uh, I think that we've always sort of believed in his uh, star potential. Uh, and we talked about it last week. And I just think he had another game where, I mean, I, even even with our high high expectations for what he is and what he can be, he probably surpassed that, and that's uh, a pretty I mean, nice thing to see. I, I got to be honest, Mike. Like I've talked in the past about, do I would it be nice for Mikhail Bridges to be the next Paul George? Yes, but if you ask me, my most likely comparison for Mikhail Bridges all throughout the past year, I would have said something like Shane Battier. And I know a lot of smart Suns fans on Suns Twitter who have agreed yeah. with me on the past, um, in the past, sorry, on that yeah. sort of assertion. So then to see him go out and drop twenty six points on ten of twelve shooting and take guys off the dribble and shoot with the level of confidence that he uh-huh, is shooting. Uh-huh, yes. It uh, is it is something that blew away even my expectations. Can I can I say a name, a player that I've been saving to say until right now? Fine. Uh Sean Marion. Oh it, okay. It looked like Sean Marion. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Because offensively, about, like without without the offensive yes. putbacks and stuff. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, there, he doesn't quite have the rebounding. I think that's one of the things that uh, is underrated in uh, Sean Marion's game. But the, the way that Paul George creates a shot is not the way that Mikhail Bridges is no. creating a shot, right? There's a lot of left and right dribbles. There's a lot of little crossovers. It's more of an isolation thing. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, for, from what we know, he does not have that yet. That could be the next development in his game. Uh, we don't really know. Uh, but attacking closeouts shooting threes, running in transition, 
those are all things that Sean Marion does. Yeah. And, then, and of course, the defense. That It kind of reminded me a little bit of that. And a, a little For, bit of Pascal Siakam. Sac- Siakam's of, more of a ball handler now, too, though. For sure, a little bit of Siakam. The, the way that he has, and again, this is just based on three scrimmage games. This is not my opinion of what Mikhail Bridges has been throughout his entire career because we just haven't seen it. But the way he can kind of hit the three now, uh, you know, the cutting, the the transition play, his ability to play make for others. If you want an example of a guy who maybe rebounds less than Marion, uh, I, I see some young Andre Godala in there as well. Um, you know, not quite. It's it's hard. It's, it's almost like young Godala had a lot of mid range. It's almost pointless. It's well, yeah. It was a different. It was a different league back then. It was almost pointless to make these comparisons because like prime Iggy was just yeah. so fast and quick, and he was gunning it down like it, every every possession. <laughs> he would go coast to coast frequently. Mikhail doesn't do that yet. You know what's funny? You haven't heard it yet, but I'm starting this podcast with a quote from Monty Williams saying that there's really no comparison. <laughs> <laughs> there's oh. <laughs> no one there's no one like him that is uh, funny is, there there isn't there yeah. there isn't he's he's totally unique one other thing i wanted to talk about in that scrimmage uh and then uh if you have anything else you can get to it too uh starting cam johnson mm. i loved it i loved it a lot i think that the the off-ball gravity and the gravity when he catches the ball at the three-point line that he brings to a team because of the quickness of his shot, right? Dario Saric can shoot threes, but the speed of which that Cam Johnson gets shots off and the threat that he is just standing at the three-point line just allowed so much space for that ball to move around. And he just makes, I think he just makes decisions a little bit faster than Dario Saric because Dario Saric is kind of slow uh, in general. Uh, so having that out there, I think, was really impressive. I'm getting closer and closer to just sort of getting rid of the idea of any sort of power forward on this team uh, at all and just running wings constantly. <laughs> and I think when you think about this team and you think about those bench lineups that you were talking about with three or four point guards, that's because the shortage in wings. Jar- Dario Saric uh, rolled his ankle, we should say. Um, and that's why he wasn't in this game. We're not sure the status on him just yet. I'm sure we'll get some news about that before the first game on Friday. But without Kelly Oubre, without Dario, there's a huge shortage of wings already, and I think that's why when we look at a guy like Devin Vassell, who we've talked about on almost every podcast since we first Mm -hmm. talked about him, that's why it still makes sense. Sometimes people say, why draft a wing? You already have Mikhail Bridges. You already have Kelly Oubre. This is why. It's a perfect example why. They play two positions, and if you're planning on playing them at three and at four, then you need more flexibility with that. You need four four or five of those guys if you can get five of them, really. And that's the ideal scenario because those guys are so versatile. And in a funny way, this is not going to become a free agency episode. We're not going to talk about it. But, like, there are good wings in free agency, too that the Suns could go out and get that, that fill those needs. And if there's any kind of thing that I want Suns fans to remember, you know, it's not about points per game. It's not about adding a a certain stat of any kind as we approach this free agency. So many people kind of go into it with this idea of, okay, we need a backup point guard for Rubio and we need a power forward and we need this many points per game and then we'll be set. I think the most important thing is positional versatility. You can get a point guard, but he should be able to play the two. You can get a shooting guard, but he should be able to play the three. Right. You can get a small right. forward, but he should be able to play the four. The more guys you load onto your roster in the modern NBA who can play one, two, three, two, three, four, three, four, five, etc., the better equipped you will be to create better lineup combinations, to better optimize those lineups, and, and ultimately be a successful team. I just think that's the name of the game. 
these days. And, and you know, that's why we've seen success recently. Mikhail can play 2-3. Booker can play 1-2. Kelly can play 3-4. And Saric arguably now can play 4-5. That's a huge reason why the Suns have been so successful this season. And, and kind of as you think about which names you're actually interested in targeting, that should, that should be a big thing, I think, on people's minds. It certainly is on mine. Yeah, and I think uh, credit to Devin Booker and DeAndre, and I think they were so quiet in this game. Sometimes it's hard to remember that the reason so many of these guys are open, the reason Cam Johnson was able to flourish, the reason Mikhail Bridges can find space to cut is because of the gravity that both of those guys bring. Devin Booker was getting trapped in this game regularly. Uh, DeAndre Ayton was getting swarmed in the paint every time he caught the ball. That's, that's what allows these guys to really... Uh, do their thing and I think that's why it's important to have wings next to DeAndre Ayton because they can attack a little easier on that closeout and I also see just from another perspective uh, there seems to be a clear effort to stop shooting so many mid-range shots uh, make sure by the way if Eddie Johnson if you're listening right now just turn the podcast off just just, <laughs> just turn it off right now you, you don't want to hear this next yeah oh yeah but let me just say this one two three four there's only five shots taken outside of the paint and not from the three-point line in that game entirely. Only five. And I'm sure a few of those were from Devin Booker. I didn't follow up there. I'm just looking at a shot chart now. And one of them was just outside the paint. In a sense, it was really only four shots taken outside of the paint in that game. And I want to say this too. Toronto, one of my favorite teams. Everyone knows I love talking about the Raptors. They play really good defense. They were a little off their game defensively in this game. I think the Suns came out and hit them with something they didn't expect. But to be able to get the shots that they were getting against this Toronto defense, whether or not they were 100% on their game, was very impressive. I was really, really impressed. And just in a general sense, pretty impressed with the team overall so far in these scrimmages and kind of excited to watch them play. I wish they were healthier, though, I guess is the main thing. <laughs> I wish, they were, I wish nice. they were healthier only because I think the bench still almost killed it for me. Um, I think it's funny. I think it's important to call out when I have reactionary takes that age poorly. I think it's important for everyone to do that, not just myself. But I say that because campaign shot 0 for 10 in that <laughs> in the game against Toronto. And I don't think that's going to be indicative of campaign's performance in the entire bubble. But, you know, a week ago, if you were listening to this podcast, I was talking about, is he the potential solution for the Suns at future <laughs> backup point guard? And, and so, you know, just a cautionary tale of don't take, I guess, don't take anything we say on any episode too seriously. Um, but also just, yeah, it would be nice to get more guys healthy because that bench did kind of almost blow it for us again. I don't even blame them because when you're playing Ty Jerome at power forward, you're honestly fucked from the beginning. But um, but yeah, I guess that's the extent yeah. of my analysis of the game. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to cover pretty extensively with two guys who know their shit. Uh, previews of the next two games, the first two official Suns games in months and months and months. Uh, coming up soon, Matt Moderno who uh, is the host of the Believe in Wizards podcast, uh, is going to cover that or preview the Wizards game with us. And our friend Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter is going to preview the Dallas Mavericks game. Uh, listen to both those and then watch those games and we'll see you online, Twitter, Reddit, wherever it is. I think it's going to be a pretty fun start. You got anything else, Sam? Nope, that's it for me. Oh, wait, Ryan McDonough's mm-hmm. on Twitter now. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> See, that's, that's, how long, that's how long of a day it was. I don't want to get into a big conversation about this, but that's how long of a day it was that Ryan McDonough hopping on Twitter came towards the end of the night, um, yeah. or the end of the day at least. Took a lot of people I know, by surprise. I know it was a weird day because I was making up some very obviously fake tweets from Ryan McDonough that people, I think, still don't know are 
entirely fake. Well, that's just that's just Twitter, man. You can't <laughs> you can't bait people that easily because they're gonna believe it. But yeah, like here's I'm looking at Ryan McDonough as of right now is following zero people. First of all, Ryan rude, but also yeah. 908 followers so far. Um, followed by a ton of Suns fans that I know, which makes me think that this is going to be a very interesting dynamic with him. Like, Suns fans, for the most part, do not like Ryan McDonough. I still Mm -hmm, think mm -hmm. he had, uh, how do I say this, positive traits. He had a vision. It didn't work out, but he always had a vision, and that's what I trusted Ryan with. Even if he was selling you bullshit, he was very eloquent in the way that he sold it, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, my my thoughts have always been he convinced an owner that never wanted to tank to tank, and I give him credit for that. And and you know what? He left the Suns in 2018 in a pretty good position for the long term. We don't know exactly who had what say in all of the the picks in 2018. We don't know if that was a Ryan McDonough decision. We don't know if it was, to some extent, Robert Sarver. To be fair, we never know with Robert Sarver versus his GM. But at the end of the day, you know, when when McDonough was fired, he left them in a position where they had Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, and those are the three most important guys going forward right now. So he it took him too long, but he may have done something right. My point is, this Twitter account may have a really interesting dynamic because it's followed by like 50% Suns fans right now. And I don't know if that just means it's going to be people harassing him constantly. Um, and, and if so, how soon it's going to be before he discovers how to use that block button because he might need it. Yeah. I, I can say that uh, Ryan McDonough becoming a meme was not something I expected to happen today because that's what happened. <laughs> I don't think a lot of these people are following him with a lot of love in their heart. <laughs> Let's say that. Yeah. I think they want to find ways to joke about whatever he tweets. And I can't wait, personally. I'm looking forward to seeing whatever people say about that. But um, let's switch over to our previews of the next two games. And uh, yeah, let's get to that. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code TIMELINE or DealDash.FM slash TIMELINE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H-F-M slash TIMELINE. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like to play without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Joining us, the host of the Believe in Wizards podcast, Matt Moderno. Matt, how are you doing? I'm great, fellas. I'm uh, excited to be chatting with you, and I'm, I'm glad we have an actual basketball game coming up to talk about. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's interesting now. It's almost like a whole season starting over again. I feel like we went through the whole preseason cycle and now an actual season, only that it's eight games and the Wizards are missing half their players or two of their best players uh, going into this. Um, Just from your perspective, in a general sense, I'll tell you this. I I do this a lot for the Suns. I'll go to the Suns Reddit and I'll just kind of sort by the top posts of the week to kind of view where Suns fans are at before we record every episode. This morning, I went to the Wizards subreddit and I sorted by the top posts of the week. And I think I literally just saw a tumbleweed blow by because there's just not a lot of chatter going on with Wizards fans. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of excitement for these bubble games, uh, being that there's no Beal and no Davis Bertans there how do you feel about these bubble games as a wizards fan i would like to submit us for just sort of most jaded and tuned out fan base <laughs> overall uh, anyway i mean under normal circumstances it's just uh you know it's been a frustrating lean couple of years for the most part so like you said losing the couple guys that people actually care about uh, has not done wonders for for the interest level around here it's it's been tough for us or for us from a podcast perspective just you know, what, what can you talk about that people will find compelling when uh, there's probably almost zero chance of them being competitive. So it's, it's a weird world. Yeah, Matt, it's, it's a little unfortunate there that you're missing so many guys, but, but you do still have some of these young prospects around. I haven't watched any of the wizard scrimmages, um, but I saw obviously Rui Hachimura uh, being your leading scorer what are the kind of expectations for him going into these eight games? Is he really the guy that you're kind of focused in on um, as, as we move through this next stretch to maybe see just how much scoring potential there is in him? Or are there other prospects that you're particularly interested in watching? I think where we're at kind of roster construction wise, I, think, I want to say there's two guys on the team like that's you know down in Orlando that are over 30 years old in, in Ishmith and, and Jan Mahimi and, and Mahinmi probably won't even play. And, you know, our entire fan base is ready for him to just like disappear. So uh, <laughs> for the most part, it's just everybody is a prospect. And and this is like super summer league and just a tryout to see if, if there's any chance that, um, you know, any of them can be. So I think most of our fan base would say that we expect to be like at least a contender for the playoffs next year with everybody reasonably back and healthy. So this is just kind of, hey, can any of these guys, whether it's Rui Hachimura, Troy Brown Jr., Thomas Bryant, Mo Wagner, can any of them actually meaningfully contribute to a playoff push next year? So those are kind of the first couple names that come to mind. So it sounds like you have just a general assumption that everyone could potentially be back with the team next year. The, the Wizards are sort of the vultures are are flying around uh, the wizards roster uh, all over the NBA, whether that be uh, media or fans, the two guys that everyone's targeting as potentially available for other teams next season are of course, Davis Bertans, who's an unrestricted free agent. So Bertans can sign anywhere. Uh, Then of course there's the prospect of Beal being traded. Now I, I can't imagine being that you're someone who, covers the Wizards that means Wizards fans are listening to your podcast I can't imagine that you would be too open to the idea of trading Bradley Beal Uh, but do you have just a general assumption that both of these guys will probably be back with the Wizards next season 
I think if it were any other team, it would be reasonable for people to kind of speculate about maybe they would consider doing something with them. But I'm sort of like paraphrasing here, but our owner, Ted Leonsis, has basically openly admitted that they're committed to mediocrity. So like <laughs> there's no chance that, that we would blow things up in, unless it became like, you know, the, the definition of a dumpster fire. And even then we're still seemingly willing to kind of ride it out. I, I think, uh, you know, if they can compete for the playoffs, that seems to be good enough for him every year. And, you know, he's kind of does the shake the fist, like we'll never tank thing. Um, which we're kind of tanking this year a little bit anyway, and sort of last year, so a little hypocritical. But I just don't see any way where they get rid of Beal unless he kind of is the one who says, like, we have to like we have to make a change here. And, you know, that day might come. Uh, he's – I don't know if you guys saw any of this, but, but Beal sort of lashed out on Twitter yesterday because he had been mm -hmm. on the Zach Lowe podcast. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, the, the whole thing with that – so. Um, you know, his wife is now like tweeting about like, this is what my husband gets for being loyal to a city in a soft Ooh. rebuild. And so it's like, you know, that, that might come to a head eventually, but unless he is like the one screaming, get me out of town, uh, this organization will never ship him out. So if mediocrity is the goal, and trust me, I feel you there because <laughs> for the Suns, mediocrity has been the goal for quite some time. And we're, we're only kind of maybe just getting there a little bit. Um, what are the offseason priorities then? Because as Mike already mentioned, you've got Bertans as a free agent. You also have Shabazz Napier, who is a decent role player for you guys, um, as an unrestricted free agent. Um, but in terms of bringing in outside help, maybe kind of you don't have to give me specific names. But what are the areas of improvement that, that you guys are kind of going for outside of just identifying that um, internal help that you can get through these bubble games and, and maybe which prospects um, and which healthy players will be able to help you out next year as well. So this is one of the kind of points of contention that, that we've gone over a lot on, on our show is just, if you ask the fan base of gen in general, it's like, we need a classic rim protecting center. Like we're just so desperate for anybody that isn't like soft as tissue paper that, like, hey, can we get Hassan Whiteside? Hey, can we, you know, trade Rui Hachimura and a lottery pick to go get Tristan Thompson's expiring contract? Like, Ooh. it's, it's all, like a desperation level. I'm being a little... All those years of uh, all those years of Gortat really did a number on you guys, huh? Oh, and a massive overpay for Mahimi. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I, I, I wrote an article for, for our local blog here that, that just... Uh, at the at the end of the year where I, I listed the top 100 wizards of the last decade and I had Gortat third so that should tell you a lot about <laughs> oh. where our franchise has been over the the last you know 10 plus years so, I can relate to that yeah <laughs> yeah exactly if, if anybody would know what I you know what we're going through here I, I think you guys get it but um most people would probably say like a tough defensive big I actually like Thomas Bryant who's our starting center for most of the year while healthy Mm -hmm. He's young. He's hurt a lot. He's barely played any NBA minutes. Um, we've had a couple of former Wizards on in, in previous weeks in, in Brendan Haywood and Natan Thomas. And both of their feedback was like, look, it takes you like three years to be a competent defensive big man in the NBA. Just it, you're like the quarterback of the defense a lot. And, and you're also the guy that's most likely to look to get embarrassed when someone else doesn't do their job. So. Right. Our starting backcourt for most of this year was Isaiah Thomas, who was one of the worst in the league defensively. 
Bradley Beal basically stopped caring about defense by like game two and a half. Um, you know, it just, so he had no help. So for me, I, I actually think they need like a, like the prototypical three and D wing. Like I, I won't, I don't have a name in mind, but think about a young small forward who's like six, seven, super athletic, you know, he might gamble a little bit too much on defense, but he's like active and he can create his own shot. Um, now imagine if the Wizards had a player like that, you know, maybe somebody that went to the University of Kansas. Um, it, it's just somebody that, that you would hope that they wouldn't give away. <laughs> Trevor Reza? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just, we, we had the player that I think we could most benefit from and we gave him away for a corpse, basically. <laughs> What did you think when that trade went down? I think, first of all, that was a weird day for Suns fans because there was the whole Marshawn Brooks, Dylan Brooks, uh, I don't know, rigmarole that was going around. Nobody knew what was happening. And then all of a sudden the trade came out and it was just a straight swap of Trevor Ariza for Kelly Oubre Jr. The assumption by most was that the Wizards saw no future with Kelly Oubre Jr. or they were completely unwilling to sign him at whatever he would have been commanding in free agency, which ended up being, I think, less than a lot of people expected. It was a two-year, $30 million deal, $15 million a year, basically, which, which makes him a free agent at the end of next season. Uh, what was your feeling when that happened? We had a GM in Ernie Grunfeld for, God, 16 years, which is kind of hard to think about, that every move was about like just prolonging his firing another year or cleaning up a bad move he had made the previous year. So most of that was, Hey, we want Ubre, but we can't sign him because we have Otto Porter committed to like, you know, a Fort Knox level of money and just, <laughs> you know, it, it's that, that was the whole like basis of that. It's just, we can't commit to another guy you know, he's getting hammered for what Porter signed for. We can't give a max deal to Ubre. And rather than wait it out and see, they thought they would try to get something for him that would help them make a playoff push. And, and Ariza was literally the guy that everyone was salty left in 2015, I think. Um, so it was like, well, yeah, I mean, he's only four years older at this point. So how much worse could he have gotten? Mm, I don't lot. think they had... I don't think they had watched him play in the yeah. time since then. So we hated that experience. We hated Trevor Reese on the Suns. It was not good. Yeah, you know, he's a great locker room guy. Mm, um, maybe. Not yeah, anymore. maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, it just that I probably cried myself to sleep at least like two of the three nights immediately after that trade. Wow. <laughs> well, if I can if I can comfort you at all, Matt, one prospect of yours that I love. And I don't know if I even should love him because I haven't watched nearly as much of him probably as definitely as you have. Um, can you talk to me about Isak Bonga? Uh, and cause when you were mentioning a second ago, you're talking about three and D wings. He's kind of, he came in as the, the idea was he's this six, eight, maybe a point guard. As it turns out, he's probably not a point guard at the NBA level, but has been playing a lot of wing for you guys and, and could maybe slide into that sort of three and D prototype that you were talking about with Ubre. He's a different type of player, but do you think there's potential for him there to, to really be something for you guys in a couple of years? He's like, um, at this point, he's, he's like a layup in D, you know, like you, you, don't, <laughs> okay. you don't, you don't trust the range too far out. It's the shots actually gotten better. Like we have a pretty reasonable, you know, player development staff um, in, in Washington. So I'll give them props for that. 
he already looks like he's made like significant progress in it not sort of skewing into the like the Michael Kid Gilchrist realm of things. Um, it's still like kind of a set shot and uh, you know that's sort of the issue but he looks really good sometimes and then you kind of will realize you've gone like 25 minutes without them calling his name or you didn't notice he wasn't in the game like so he just he's really inconsistent he's only 19 I want to say um, so just sort of expect you know what you would get from a really raw 19 year old um, really good athlete really good court vision been aggressive so far in the bubble which is good to see uh, so I think there's more hope for him now than there would have been in like December for sure now I think a lot of Suns fans are looking at this game against the Wizards which counts unlike the games we've seen so far as as a game that the Suns should win. The Suns have actually been playing relatively well uh, over the course of the th- three scrimmage games that they've played so far and are actually ha- almost as healthy as they've been the entire season with the exception of Kelly Oubre Jr., uh, who's out for an unknown period of time. We're not sure when or if he will play at all in the bubble. Uh, and then, of course, Aaron Baines, who's coming back from testing positive for COVID. We don't know when he's going to play either. If the Wizards do compete in that game or even potentially win that game, what do you think that would look like? Because I think a lot of Suns fans have a hard time picturing it because they're not sure where the production's going to come without two of their best scorers uh, being with the team. Of course, we know Thomas Bryant tends to kill the Suns for some reason. Uh, so I think we could expect him to do some damage. But uh, what do you think that would look like? You know, they're going to be kind of spunky, I think. Um, so at the very least, I'd expect them to be competitive. Um, you know, Hachimura is like a legitimate problem. Um, you know, there's still some work where like he'll have a wide open three within nobody. You know, nobody's within 15 feet of him and he'll dribble into a contested like 18 footer. But he makes a lot of them. Um, so uh, Wait, so is is he a problem like a bad thing or is he a problem like Yo, he's oh, a problem. No, like he's no, a uh, oh, okay. No, uh, he. I meant that in sort of the you know colloquial text there. The NBA um, Twitter sense. The he's hashtag a this league. He's yeah, built he's, different. Yeah. He's right. a bucket. You know, one of those sort of generic uh, terms for a guy that, that can score a lot, but probably won't play a ton of defense. Um, but but he's actually been sort of more dialed in on the defensive end. Um, I, I personally. I'm a little less optimistic about his long-term ceiling than I think most of DC is because uh, we had the scrimmage against the Clippers and Kawhi shot like four of 12. Uh, and so like everyone talked about how like Rui locked down Kawhi and um, he should basically make all, you know, first team all defense this year because of that one scrimmage. But uh, he's tough. I mean, he really, he, he's going to be a hard cover. You know, I, I don't know who on the Suns draws that matchup. Um, if it's like Saric or somebody like that's, that's going to be, that's going to be a tough cover. Uh, but Troy Brown Jr. Is, is, is a reasonable sort of, he's more of like a point wing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, can't really shoot it, but he, he's really good at sort of pushing the ball in transition. Uh, Napier has been a pretty consistent spot up shooter. Thomas Bryant's probably good for 15 and eight. Um, Against the Suns, Thomas Bryan is good for 50 and 20. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You could probably round up to that. Um, You know, he's looked pretty good. He hasn't played a ton of minutes, but uh, he's just a guy that that he's going to run the floor and make other bigs work. And I haven't watched a ton of Suns, you know, 
obviously right. in the last couple of months, but um, I don't know how hard Aiden is going to want to work to just like chase him as he dead sprints down the court every time. Um, right. I actually like Aiden. I don't, I don't know how big you guys are on him, but uh, I wouldn't say he's like a lockdown, uh, you know, defender or, or maybe the most dialed in from, from what I've seen. So, so Brian at least makes it work on that end. Yeah. It depends on the day, I think, with Aiden. Yeah, right. Uh, sometimes and, and he's that, great. Yeah. That goes back to the young guy thing too. So right. th- those are probably the couple names I would expect if, if they had big games. Um, and the, the other one is Jerome Robinson that the Wizards uh, traded away the ghost of Isaiah Thomas to the Clippers to get. Um, you know, he, he has, uh, you know, scoring potential. He hasn't shot really well down in Orlando so far, um, a couple air balls every game, but I think he's a guy that with like the ultimate green light could maybe get hot and drop, you know, 15, something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching, uh, that game. Sam, you have any other questions before we let Matt go? Um, nope. Thank you so much for coming on, Matt. And we are looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, I guess whoever loses this one is officially eliminated, right? Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it pretty, it pretty much seems that way. Um, yeah, good luck, guys. I think your playoff prospects are, are closer, you know, much more legitimate than ours. So I hope you <laughs> win it for, for your sake. Definitely. Um, definitely listen to the Believe in Wizards podcast. And Matt, what's your Twitter handle? People can go follow you. Uh, it's just at Matt Moderno, M-O-D-D-E-R-N-O. Uh, the only thing I'll say on the podcast is we're part of a larger uh, network called the Believe Podcast Network. So it's actually spelled B-L-E-A-V. Um, yeah, we, did, we didn't pick the name, unfortunately. But <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the network's overall goal is to pair a host like myself with a former athlete. So I have former wizard Larry Hughes. Um, you know, very like cool. the, the Warriors podcast is Rick cool. Barry. So you know, they, they've got some bigger names and stuff like that. So That's check us very out. cool. Definitely. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Yeah, take care, fellas. Big thanks to Matt Moderno for joining us. Now we're going to switch over to the Mavs game preview with Richard Stamen. Okay, joining us to preview the Mavs game, a friend of ours, Richard Stamen, also known on Twitter as at Mavs Draft. How you doing, Richard? I'm doing all right. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited for uh, tomorrow and the game starting back up. Yes, it's very, it's very soon. <laughs> I've got a hot take for you right off, uh, not a hot take, just a hot question right off the press. Um, how afraid of you, fuck. <laughs> Watching the question here a little bit right off the bat. How afraid are you of Mikhail Bridges on a scale of one to 10? And uh, I'm yeah. Both questions. I'm going to answer both questions. I'll start with Mikhail Bridges. Uh, like an eight and a half out of 10. Mm-hmm. Of myself, fully a 10. I'm scared, scared of myself. There's no other. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can ask Mike when we play when we play 2k dude it just it freaks me out <laughs> not even playing with anybody else just having to, them to deal with me <laughs> uh, I just feel like when Luka Doncic closes his eyes at night he just sees Mikhail Bridges's arms <laughs> in his face he's coming he's, for him he's coming for him he's the only he's one of the only people that I feel like does a does a good job on Luka Doncic how what is it how is the Mavs how are the Mavs doing so far in the bubble? I haven't, I haven't actually watched, I think, a single Mavs game so far. What, what's your feeling about how they've been playing? So, actually, just so I, I purposely did this, because I do this in the preseason, too. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I just, I just choked, so I apologize for this. <laughs> uh, just very sad thinking about what I'm about to say. Uh, I didn't watch, actually, more than a two quarters, I think, which was the Lakers game. 
really? any scrimmage game just because I did not want to get my hopes up of, and I've already seen people do it. Antonius Cleveland, one of the two-way guys, has no, been really good. I was really going to ask you about him. <laughs> I don't think he actually plays in the bubble. He's come playoff okay. time. So right, right. I just, for me, it's like, well, I get my hopes up. Yeah, he's, he's good. I've seen the highlights and everything. But, man, I, <laughs> I actually have not watched a lot of the bubble, but I, I do freak out about Mikhail Bridges. I do, I do see him in my sleep, too, those long arms. Are <laughs> <laughs> uh, are there any Mavs uh, players that are, are not there, or is everyone healthy? I'm, I haven't really kept up with that. So the only person not there is Willie Cauley-Stein. They did bring the, the injured bunch of um, Jalen Brunson, Dwight Powell, and Courtney Lee. <clears throat> and I think of the three of those, obviously, you know, Dwight Powell's been hurt for a while, so I won't even say that they'll miss him the most because relative, they've adjusted without him. They had almost two months. Yeah. Um, prior to the shutdown. So I'd say Courtney Lee, which I never in a million years thought I'd say is the one they missed the most, uh, yeah. just because he was so good at defense coming in after the all-star break. I mean, he was locking guys up. So that's going to be missed. You know, kind of the interesting thing about your guys' roster composition to me always has been, Rich, that, you know, you have so many, basically that entire roster is just a stocked, stacked, Jesus Christ, is stacked with... um. <laughs> like above average players, but but not necessarily a clear cut third option uh, after Luka Doncic or, or Chris Stapps. So, you know, just from some of the names you were throwing out there, guys like Jalen Brunson, Dwight Powell, Courtney Lee, obviously names that you're going to miss. I guess the question is, is there an X factor going in, you know, of like, who's that third guy maybe who can kind of step up? Is it going to be Tim Hardaway Jr.? Is it going to be Seth Curry? <laughs> is it going to be DeLon Wright? I don't know. It's just like, you know, it seems like you guys have always had so many above average pieces. Um, but who really are the most reliable contributors for you now that you need to win all of these high stakes games? Yeah, and I worry about Tim Hardaway Jr. saying that he's the X factor. Because I think if come playoff time, that's your X factor. You're you're in for a really dangerous situation because yeah, he had some really good moments this year. For the most part, he's been really good, but he's really volatile. Like he can give you one thirty point game and the next game give you five, right. uh, and that's just not what I want. I'd rather I'd rather see the third option just be fed on the bench with Seth Curry as the sixth man. I think he's mm-hmm. absolutely perfect in every single way for the role he plays. And then I would say another X factor. Obviously, you said DeLon Wright. Uh, getting him in a rhythm which was not easy during the regular season before the shutdown um so that would be really important but i'd say dorian finney smith this is the first year of his career where his jump shot was actually consistent so being able to continue that would be huge i think i think that's gone supremely underrated throughout maps twitter when uh, sam finished asking that question i was 100 percent certain you were going to say seth curry uh, Rich, just based on our conference, for those who don't know, Rich and I play 2K all the time. Sometimes we stream it. So we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. I'm a huge Seth Curry fan. I think he's, I actually think he's still underrated at this point. Uh, what he brings to the Mavericks is just so perfect for their system. He's able to create his own shot, but he doesn't have to rely on it because of the gravity of players like Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and of course, Luka Doncic. How good do you think this team is going to this? It's a weird thing where, it's hard to judge. Like it doesn't feel like whatever our expectations were four months ago, or the last time actual games were played five, six months ago, whatever it was, it doesn't feel like those apply anymore. It almost feels like any of these teams can go on a run and make it pretty deep, even potentially to the finals, including the Mavericks. How good do you think they are? What do you think is the top 
potential of this team. Yeah, I mean, the randomness is absolutely huge. You know, no home court advantage is a massive thing. And we talk about who gets hot and who gets cold every year at the end of the regular season. I mean, you think about like the Pacers versus Hawks when it was one versus eight, and it was just polar opposites. One was hot, one was cold, and it went to seven games. Uh, obviously, the Pacers still won, but besides the point, like hot teams, it matters, hot and cold. So teams don't have that. They don't have the momentum. Um, so I think realistically, and as silly as this would have sounded five months ago, the Western Conference Finals, I don't think it's out of the picture because all it takes is mm-hmm. just getting hot. And the yeah. Mavs have shown with the number one offense literally ever that they can do that. And I think they can beat teams single-handedly with their <clears> offense <throat> because their defense, their biggest issue with defense is misses. Like that is far and away their defense is always the worst after they miss. So if they make shots, their defense is going to be really, really good, I think. And I think that's something that could realistically, that could carry over into one, two rounds to win. Yeah, I I think it's a really good point, Rich. I think something uh, that not a lot of people bring up is kind of by expected record, the the Mavs kind of underperformed this year. You know, their record just by point differential was supposed to be several wins higher than it actually ended up being. And so I think a lot of people get the idea. They see them sitting in the standings right now at, at the seventh seed, and, and they maybe don't fully grasp just how good you guys already are, frankly, which which in Luka Doncic's second season is crazy. Um, I guess it comes down to matchups, though, right? So, like, you know, if you guys stay in the seventh seed and go into a first-round matchup against the Clippers, I'm just – assuming here tell me if I'm wrong but I'm assuming you feel much less confident about that matchup whereas maybe if you leapfrog uh, the Rockets you win a few extra games and and you get to go into the first round against the Nuggets maybe that's a much more uh, a much better matchup for you in the first round and you have a better chance of of going further yeah I completely agree I mean you take Denver who every year we talk about them having one of the best home court advantages them in Utah uh, and those are two realistic teams that if Dallas comes out in the eight games and plays really well they could realistically be playing them. And, and I mean, I'd much rather have them in Orlando than in Denver or Utah. Um, I do not want either of the LA teams, no matter what city, what bubble it's being played in. That mm-hmm. is far and away the absolute worst case scenario. Uh, but yeah, no, like jumping Houston, like you said, fully realistic. And it's all about matchups from there. Yeah, especially with Eric Gordon uh, going down. It's kind of interesting with this. The Suns have been bad <laughs> for the past long time. But for, for whatever reason, the, the Mavericks are a team that the Suns tend to beat a lot. In fact, I think in the last like 15 games, they've won like nine of those 15. Uh, just, a, just a relative winning record against the Mavericks. Why do you think that happens? At least, I, I don't want you to have to go back into like 2010, 2011 and discuss those games. But <laughs> as, as of recently, uh, it does seem like the Suns have the Mavericks number a little bit. Uh, just in that matchup, why do you think that favors the Suns in a lot of these areas? Do you think it's just, they just get hot against them? Uh, almost a nice pun there. I like that. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think, first of all, one of the matchups which will always stick out to me is, uh, I think it was actually twice, Devin Booker's career high in Mexico City. Uh, yeah. The Mexico City games didn't help, which worries me with it being a neutral site. Uh, luckily, elevation a lot closer to zero in Orlando than, uh, than a mile. Right. But, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm looking at the box score just, and, and I tweeted this out. I mean, God, I watched the, some of the videos from the game in January where the Suns won by, I think, 30 points. And I could not remember it for the life of me. And I finally remember why Rubio tore him apart. It was just the team defense. I feel like Phoenix takes advantage of teams with bad team defense. And overall, I'd say Dallas doesn't have a good team defense. 
So something like that this year and last year really made them match up well. Uh, more so this year, obviously, because Ricky Rubio is there. Uh, but I think things like that, they know how to exploit Dallas in that regard. This also isn't so much of a, a question for you, Richie, sorry, but just to inject my own point here. I mean, I, I went back and looked. I saw you tweeted uh, when you were coming, talking about how you were coming onto the podcast tonight about how that was maybe that game a, a few months ago in January was maybe the Mavs' worst game of the season when they lost to the Suns. And I went back and looked at the box score there. 32 points for Devin Booker, but also 31 points, nine rebounds uh, for DeAndre Ayton on 13 of 15 shooting. And he's only matched up against you guys a few times in his career now, but I think it has been an interesting trend so far. Mm -hmm. DeAndre Ayton, if there's any criticism we've given to DeAndre Ayton thus far in his career, it's that he turns it on and off, right? You you never quite know exactly if you're going to get that consistency out of him he tends to turn it on against the Mavs. And, and I do wonder part of me, if there's a certain chip on his shoulder about feeling that he needs to prove something, you know, I know the personal relationship with him uh, and Luka Doncic is very good. They're friends off the court. And, and it does seem that, you know, they don't hold any animosity between each other, but I'm sure Deandre hears, you know, coming from the outside, um, all of the kind of criticisms about whether or not he should have been the number one pick. Obviously, Luka Doncic has been the better player thus far in their careers and, and probably will continue to be. But so I do, you know, I do just wonder if he takes that into, into some of his matchups. And I don't know what you think about that. I know you, not to out you to your, all of your Mavs <laughs> followers, but I know you are a big supporter of DeAndre Ayton. I know that for a fact that you own a DeAndre Ayton jersey, so you certainly have a stake in jersey, so you have a stake in, in both sides of this kind of, you know, debacle. He's never lost to the Mavericks, for the record. DeAndre wow. Okay, I did not know that. I was, it's only two games, but yeah. they're both W's for the Suns. I was going to say, because I remember in Dirk's retirement game, I was really sad because I wanted to see Aiden in person. I was almost more excited about that than Dirk. <laughs> <laughs> not really, though. Not really. Please do well, not he quote was, me on that. I mean, uh, he was basically a zombie <laughs> at that point, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. They shut down literally everybody. I don't even know if Ruby or uh, I'm sorry, not Rubio. Uh, Ubre played at that point. They were in Booker. I know didn't play, but uh, I know the game in what was it, November, where the Mavs won in Phoenix. I know he was, that was part of the suspension, and the Mavs barely won that. So mm-hmm. that kind of makes me think that the Suns probably would have been, or Aiden would have been 3 0 in that scenario against Dallas. Potentially, uh, yeah. I, I mean, dude, that, that game against Dallas, I mean, he came out there with a mission. And, and that's kind of what I was saying. Rubio fed him so many easy looks. And obviously, not to take him away, away from him, but he knows how to feed off of him with Rubio. Uh, and, and the Mavs ball watch. And, Aiden loves taking advantage of that with teams. And I feel like those are his biggest games where, and it's not always bad teams. I mean, even Utah, I think he killed Gobert, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, he's done he does, well. He does sometimes. Yeah, there was one this year, the one time this year. And I remember watching it and like Gobert had to guard three people at a time. And whenever that happens, Aiden is going to feast. Like he, that is his game where the big man has to watch multiple people. Aiden wins. Like, there's almost no times, I feel like, where he loses that, you know? Oh, you're, you're preaching to the choir. You're preaching to the <laughs> like, choir here. Like, Suns fans are sure, loving like, this. You, you've seen more games than I have, but, like, from what I've seen, it's always that if it's two-on-one for him and he's the one and, obviously, it's almost flipped in that way, like, he's winning. Because I think, personally, he's one of the best post players, just post scores, not necessarily in skill, but literally efficiency. Uh, yeah, I don't have well, the numbers to back that, but – He's so quick in the post. 
It's interesting you mentioned that, though, because, you know, Mike and I were talking about this on an episode we recorded a few days ago. The Suns haven't really been running any DeAndre Ayton post-ups in, yeah. in these scrimmages. He's shooting you know, threes now. He's shooting threes yeah. now. And yeah, it's, and so, it's so it's kind of it's, it's always walking a, a fine line between how you want to develop this guy, because if you're going to have him shoot threes now, and I absolutely think he should to modernize his game, then there are certain sacrifices that have to be made. Personally, I think the all of the sacrifice should come from that mid-range jumper of his that I hate so much. Mm-hmm. I don't think the sacrifice should come as much from his post-ups, which I actually think are pretty good. And, and even in 2020, I think they provide kind of a certain a certain value to your offense if you're as good at them as he is. Yeah, no, I completely agree. There, I mean, I'm sure you've seen Eddie Johnson hates Mavs fans because because of post-ups. But... Eddie Johnson hates Suns fans too. So <laughs> oh, that's, that's right. true. Right that is true. <laughs> he thinks I mean, that Chris Depp should post up, right? That's yeah, a weird that's oh my God, I forgot about that. should not be posting up. He has no, no post-up ability. So no, no. If you're good at posting up, the post-up is still not efficient or inefficient, excuse me. Yeah. It's a good shot if you are good at it. Surprise. Imagine what <laughs> imagine what coach Eddie Johnson would do with a player like Jaron oh, Jackson God. Jr. Oh, <laughs> he, would just, he would just destroy <laughs> a player <laughs> like that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I he think gets benched for taking a three. <laughs> <laughs> with Aiton specifically, I think they still have to they have to explore like him playmaking out of the post too. I, I don't think that that's something they've done. They've trusted him enough to do just yet. I, I don't think that it's something that they've kind of shied away from doing. I just think they haven't really had time to work that into his game. You, you're they're developing him relatively slowly. But yeah, I agree with that. Just in general, uh, I do like the idea of the sort of mid post elbow catch being taken out of the game entirely. But that sort of low post, if he can get to it, uh, especially in miss. Uh, mismatches I think they have to get the ball to him and, and he can either score or play make out of that position I hope that happens so the game is on Sunday it's only a few days away I'm going to put you on the spot Rich do you have a prediction for this game e- even if it's not necessarily who wins or loses just any e- even like an individual <laughs> thing that you expect to happen man so individually for me uh, I expect chaos on my timeline uh, fully. So I, well, I have so many. So I'm, I'm like right in the middle of Mavs and Suns Twitter. You too. do. You do. <laughs> so for me, that's what I'm seeing is right ahead. Is I see chaos on my timeline, especially if somehow like the Suns or Mavs drop their first game. Ooh, I do not wish that upon either team. Yeah. Uh, but individually, I mean, I'm really excited just to see how. I mean, God, is it is it cliche to say Luca? Because dude, I really want to see Luca in a meaningful. Not game. at all. No, no. it's not like, cliche I, at all. I just, That's the reason so to watch long. your team right now. Yeah, and, if we're being honest, and, you know. And it's like the guy's an MVP candidate. He makes everybody right. else better. And how's he going to be with you know no Courtney Lee? Like I said earlier, I mean, as weird as it sounds to say, Courtney Lee actually was an important person for the final month of the season. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested to see, I guess, how that goes. I know you said individually, but. Uh, I'm really interested to see how that goes on the Mavs side. And then if, and then this brings me into the Sun side, if Mikael Bridges exploits that weakness at the moment. There's going to be a little bit of both, and that's where the chaos is going to come in. Because I'm going to be honest with you, Luke is going to be the best player on the court. Because he is. He's just factually is the best player on the court between both teams. And and Suns fans, don't come at me with a Devin Booker. You know, (laughs) look, Devin Booker's great, but it's not an argument right now. No. Um, But 
Mikhail Bridges is going to strip Luka Doncic at least once. Mike <laughs> is going to post a, a kind of poorly grabbed video of it on his Twitter yeah. feed. And, and with a lot of capital letters. With a lot of capital letters. And that video is going to blow up and it's going to get like 30,000 plus. No, 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 no. no, no. That's more, my more than a million. More than a million. More than a million. <laughs> more than a million. <laughs> it's only happened once and it was a Mavs highlight. So. Well, exactly. we have to be kind of careful now, guys, because up until this point, we've been riding the wave of Mikhail Bridges as this like, you know, underrated. He's the Ours. hipster. He was He's the hipster NBA Twitter player. Mikhail yeah. Bridges is like a rare IPA that only It was only us, <laughs> Jackson yeah. Frank, Coles Wicker, and that's it. That's and all yeah, we had. Yeah, basically. And 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 now um we're again, we're walking a fine line here because the casuals are about to know. And for all this time, we've wanted the casuals to know in a, in a certain sense, right? Because we want Mikhail Bridges to get the recognition he deserves. But if he keeps playing like he has been in these scrimmages, watch out. Because he is going to be the new target uh, in trade proposals for from every fan base in the NBA Dude. from the Knicks, and that <laughs> oh, is what we're scared of. <laughs> Dude, that reminds me of like Jonathan Isaac and Mikhail Bridges have to be the two winners of this hiatus. Like nobody else is, and Bull Bull, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. Bull Bull is like a week, so I don't count. Yeah, he might but not play. Mikhail after Bridges this. had hype on Twitter. Like people were posting his videos. The same way with Jonathan Isaac, people were like, "Wow, this guy's good." People woke up. And those are two guys that I never understood why they never got more hype, especially Mikhail. People. Well, like I understand Isaac, why. Mikhail averages eight points per game. Yeah, and look, and for a large segment. For a lot I, of people. Right. I get it, but like, have you seen him play defense? And like, right. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, Rich, you, you're, again, you're preaching to the choir, and our listeners are eating this up, but you also got to realize <laughs> that we comprise a small percentage of the overall yeah. community. Uh, that's like even interested in defense in the first place, right? <laughs> Especially <laughs> so. that kind of defense, right? Because it's like a special kind of like defensive IQ type defense where it's not necessarily <laughs> just matching up against a guy. And, and, and he does that, obviously, and Jonathan Isaac does that. But the kind of uh, reading a play and, and like figuring out where the ball's going ahead of time, that, that's the kind of thing that you really have to pay attention to see. And that's what makes both of those guys fun. Uh, Sam, do you got anything else for Richard before we let him go? Uh, Rich, I got one more thing for you. A little bit of news broke today, unfortunately. This is on the more negative end of things about um, a renewed kind of investigation into the Mavs over kind of a, a new sexual assault allegation uh, for the first time in a couple of years. So, you know, in the event that Mark Cuban kind of comes under hot water again, the, the Suns, obviously, we started off our episode, Mike and I, by talking about Robert Sarver on our end. Um, would you trade owners? Are you interested oh my in that? God. <laughs> <laughs> Not where I thought this was going. Uh, yeah, hard pass, hard pass. Okay. I, I, this stuff has been awful. I mean, I think been, it does this is really bad look for Cuban. And I, it's I, in, in all seriousness, it is a very bad look. And I do think it prompts a conversation. I think Robert Sarver yeah. and James Dolan for a long time have been considered two of the worst owners in the NBA for good reason. I think Mark Cuban <laughs> has kind of gotten away from any of that because he's run a very good basketball yeah. program. Um, a very successful one that for a very long time has has just generated these successful teams. And, and you guys have been very good. And he's passionate as a, as a basketball fan, but he also knows how to get out of the way and kind of let the basketball ops people do their job. On the other hand, there's this other stuff that comes out and it, it does kind of make you think, right, about, well, this organization kind of alleged that they were going to clean up their act a couple of years ago. And perhaps that's not the case. Yeah. And, and dude, like they... It was a horrible PR response and everything. I mean, it was just as terrible as you could have drawn it out there. Like, but what about our brand? And it's like, dude, like, are you kidding me right now? Right. Like, it's it's almost laughable. It's like, how can you actually say this? Like, and say, yes, this is what we need to be publishing. Like, it's it's disgusting. 
It, he's he's really making his way up there with uh, like he's really good owner and like you said the basketball side he's great with. I mean, there's no question right now he needs to be under, you know, under fire for all of this stuff uh, on the non-basketball side of the organization. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow that story. It's not super fun. It's not even basketball, really. So we're not fully equipped to cover it, uh, to be honest. But yeah, we'll definitely be following that as it goes. But Richard, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fun. I look forward to watching the game and tweeting Mikhail Bridges highlights at you uh, as it happens. Don't forget to follow Richard on Twitter at Mavs draft. You also have at Mavs draft or film, right? At Mavs draft film. That's yeah. Name. You'll see, you'll see all of my videos 10 seconds before I post them on Mavs draft there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so follow both of those. He's, I know he covers the draft for the Mavs, but it's the draft, right? That's everyone. Everyone has to draft a player unless Robert Sarver sells the draft pick. Uh, <laughs> thanks again for joining us, Rich. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Huge thanks to Matt Moderno and Richard Stamen for joining us. Don't forget to follow both of them on Twitter. Looking forward to some Suns basketball this week. We'll be back next week with a new episode breaking down how the Suns did. Mikhail per game as Bridges. Bridges able to get it over the top of his soul. His second team second. Good move right there. I mean, just the hesitation. guy as he brought his three-point shooting to the bubble. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.